Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Am I on? Yes? Sounds like it. Good morning, everyone. Morning, family, friends. Um, and this is the baptism of fire. Joining staff next year. <laughs> Starts with a preach. So good to see you all this morning. Um, I don't know if we have anyone who's brought family along from out of town because it is the Christmas season. If you have, we'd like to see your hands, give you a special welcome. I see a hand there. Special welcome. Welcome to Glenridge. Um, we will be talking about family this morning, um, but we are in a series of He Is. You can see the bright lights behind me. And um, we thought during this season um, of traditionally the Christmas season, it can be debated when it actually is, but the point is we are choosing to focus on Jesus and who he is um, and what he means to us. So um, you can have a bit of fun with this because it is he is dash, 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 and every speaker will be bringing something different every week about who Jesus is. So the bit of fun you can have is you can try and guess every week What's coming next? What will Stan be saying next week? He is da-da-da-da. But it would be nice to just, if you could, make, make your own list. Well, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Um, because we may not cover everything um, in the limited time we have. But make a list. Who is Jesus to you? Write it down. And maybe as the next speaker and the next preacher touches on who Jesus is, you can maybe just cross it off your list. They touched on that, they touched on that. So, it is good to be with you and here again this morning. Like I said, today I'll be talking about he is family. That in itself might be a bit of an oxymoron. He refers to one, but I'm talking family, which refers to many, but we'll get into it. And I think the first thing is just to say family is God's design. Family is how God has planned to impact the world. Um, family is how God intends to carry out his will and display his power in the world. It is through the context of family. Now, when you talk family, I understand family is... We all have an idea of the perfect family. Um, TV commercials will show us the perfect family. Father, mother, one boy, one girl, pigeon pair. We even have a word for it, pigeon pair. Like the Roberts, perfect family. One boy, one girl, <laughs> father. Some of us, not so perfect family. Um, and I'm just saying, that's okay. Um, family does not have to be so perfect for God to work with. God just wants a family. Um, and generally, families aren't so perfect. Um, I often come home, like I've been busy at work lately, um, and I'll come home and Malindi just says, when you hear the children squabbling, wah, 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 there's three of them, talk to your dad, talk to your dad. I've been with you all day, I've had enough, Talk to your dad. He'll sort it out. Um, 
and that's what family sometimes looks like. So a bit of a peek into my not-so-perfect family. I am the child of parents who are now divorced. Okay? My eldest brother is a half-brother before my dad married my mother, had a few kids. Um, I'm sure my dad was hoping, hoping for a pigeon pair, like the Roberts, but instead ended up having four other boys um, with my mom, never happened, they divorced, he got remarried, had two more boys. Um, so no girls for him, unfortunately, a whole squad of boys in the family, but that's what my not-so-perfect family looks like. But in saying that, um, God still looks for family, no matter what that family looks like in the natural. Um, I also just want to state the important thing about family is family is something we need to contend and fight for. Um, we often just say, um, let it be as it is, but it is something that God initially shows us that he fought for it. He fought for, he fought for family. Um, and where do we see this? Um, Christmas season, Stories been told year after year after year. Mary gets pregnant. Um, historians would probably say she was in her teenage years, not very old um, in our terms to be pregnant, and she was engaged to Joseph. And now, obviously, Joseph has a bit of a wobble. What's happened here? Um, my wife-to-be is pregnant. Um, it wasn't me. Um, and what's to become of this situation? He was having a, a bit of a wobble. In fact, the scriptures say he was ready to quietly set the marriage aside. He loved her enough to say, I don't want this to be a shameful thing. I don't want it to be something that brings shame upon you, but we'll quietly go our separate ways. And God intervenes. He sends an angel. That's the next best thing to God coming in person. <laughs> he sends an angel and he says, this is what has happened. Um, it's been called the Immaculate Conception, but we know the story. Your wife is pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and she will have a baby. God contends for that family unit right there. And he says, no. He, I mean, God's plan to have Jesus come into the world had already been fulfilled. Why did he have to fight for Joseph to stay in that family? Because God wants to work within a family unit. That's how he intends to show his power and display his glory. Um, and in that, it is in family where we first find identity. Um, either name, family name, um, brother, sister, mother, father, it is in the context of family that you first find any identity before you go into the world. And we then confuse, as you grow older, um, identity with what you do, which isn't what identity is. It's never what job you do. It's never what cricket team your son plays for. It's never which netball team your daughter is in. But it is found and does not change in the context of family. 
It never changes. You are always a son. You're always a daughter. When you have children, you're always a father. You're always a mother. And in that, I want to say it's a sacred thing because there are things we do not choose that are given to us, that are a gift to us, that are a blessing to us. And that is our identity given by God. I did not choose to be born into a family which is partly Kosa, partly Zulu, and I have to explain every time. Every time. In KZN, Lufef. Oh, that's an odd name, never heard it before. Yes, it's Kosa. Oh, okay, but you don't speak Kosa. Yes, born in Durban, raised in Durban, grew up Zulu, but it's Kosa. Just, that's what it is. Um, that's a gift <laughs> that I was given. Um, I did not choose it. Um, it is sacred. And I have to respect the fact that it is in that context that God wants to do something in me. Likewise, everyone else. You were born into a family. God gave you identity in that family. And it is in the context of that family that you were born into. And it is in the context that you came into the world. Your race, your gender, everything about you. God given. Sacred. And we need to respect that. And we need to say, Lord, as I am, half-breed in KZN, as I am a child from divorced parents, you can use this to accomplish your will. So in, in the context of family, um, In the context of family, it is first where we see tracking still partly in the Christmas story. Before Jesus is born, um, come on, I taught this at Kidsman. I'm forgetting her name now. John's mother. Someone help me. <laughs> Elizabeth, thank you. Elizabeth was promised that she would give birth to a child of the promise that they have been waiting for. The father doesn't believe it. Um, but anyways, Elizabeth, where I'm getting to is Elizabeth is related to Mary. And they are pregnant at the same time. I think um, John was to be born before Jesus, but they're pregnant at the same time. So these two cousins decide they will have a preggy party. Um, don't women do that? Like, I'm pregnant, you're pregnant, let's have a party. Okay, but... Um, so Mary goes over to visit cousin Elizabeth, who's a lot older, but that's not the point. And John has been promised prophetically to this couple. Once again, God came himself boom, you will have a child. Well, not himself, he sent an angel. Next best thing to coming himself, you will have a child. This is the child's purpose. This is what he will fulfill. Um, and it is in the context of this preggy party, as Mary, pregnant with Jesus, walks in to visit cousin Elizabeth, that in the womb, John is filled with the Holy Spirit. Before he's even born, Jesus isn't even 
on his own yet. It's not even out of his mother's womb. It is in that family context that John is filled with the Holy Spirit, that John is filled with the power to achieve the purpose that God calls him for. In the context of family, it is sacred. It is something we need to contend and fight for, this family. Um, because that's what God's plan is. And in that context, as said, is where John is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, okay, I'll, I'll share that story later. It's coming up later in my notes. But I just want to say it is, it is a sacred thing. It is something we've got to contend and fight for. But also just a reminder, even though the kids have gone, that passage of scripture is always a reminder to me that God isn't too... There's a scripture that says God is not a respecter of men. God does not look at how old you are, who you are. When he's called you, he's called you. And your family helps you guard and, 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 and protect that over your life. And God empowers you to walk in. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you may be, John was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, in his Elizabeth's womb, for the purpose he was called. I'm reminded of my own mother. Um, we frankly used to think our mother was a bit off the wall. Um, love my mother to bits, respect her, but she would constantly pray for us, pray for us. Tell us, God has called you. Um, I was in primary school, like, it's just Sunday school, and you know, go home. God has called you, God has called you for this and that and that. And obviously, straight over my head, but it was in that context, God always protected us. Um, God always was empowering. Um, she'd bring us to Glenridge, Glenridge was at DLI Hall, and it was the best, I'm sorry if I'm about to offend anyone, it was the best Sundays. I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit would move. Now you had young boys, not really know, knowing what the movement of the Holy Spirit actually means. Sunday morning, we would sit at the back and look on as this chaos unfolds. People will be running, people will be screaming, we'd be pointing and laughing. Look at him, look at him, look at him. But it was in that family, as we went as a family, not even knowing what's going on, not even knowing what God was doing. God was beginning a work and he was empowering and honoring the prayers of a mother who, kept, who was keeping a family together. Now, we see how God intends to work and um, through families throughout the Bible. I, often, I would often refer to this as um, not limited to, but the Bible being a history, particularly the Old Testament, that God tracks through a particular family of how he moves in that family. Um, Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel would refer to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because that is their family lineage. That is their family history. 
and they're tracking how God has worked in our great-great-grandpa, our grandpa, our father, and further generations, that gets further removed, but it's in the family. God builds a nation of Israel, and that nation is actually the 12 sons of a man called Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. God intended to carry out his will on the earth and have this family of priests through the 12 sons of Jacob. Now, the 12 sons of Jacob were probably more imperfect than my family. They tried to have their brother killed, sold him into slavery, and the list goes on and on and on of all the treacherous things that they got up to. But God says, I want to display my will, my power, and my purpose through the context of family. And he chooses those people and he calls them his own. And he builds them into a nation to display his purposes and his glory. Further to that, he calls the Levites, particularly out of that family, sets them aside. Now, Levi was also a man. Sometimes we read these things and we lose the context because they've been said so many times and you think Levites is another fancy word for a priest. Levi was one of the patriarchs, a man called Levi, whose family were then to be priests in this nation of Israel. In that context of family, God calls him and says, I want you to be priests to these in this kingdom of priests who will be priests to other nations around us. Now, our first introduction in the Bible Did that just come through the mic? (laughs) I thought it did. Book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, before Jesus is born. What's the first thing you read? Genealogy. Big word for Jesus' family line. Family tree, family history. Some great characters in there, some flawed characters in there, deeply, but you can explore that genealogy itself. And I think it's just another picture of God saying, I am in family. And I know this time is generally a family time. Family comes from far and wide. We'll be traveling to family far and wide shortly um, over this time. But God says, this is your family line. This is how I've chosen to work through you. It is sacred. Protect it. Now, if I was the enemy, I'm probably going to be stating the obvious, yeah? But I'm hoping everyone knows that there is an enemy trying to stop the plans of Jesus. What would I do? Disrupt family. Attack the family. 
with everything that I have. And I'm bringing this up so that we can be aware and awake. Um, Paul says we must be aware of the schemes of the enemy. So we can be aware of the schemes of the enemy. The enemy comes for one thing in a big way, and that's family. And I'm trying to say this as sensitively as possible. I know how imperfect families can be. I know how hurtful families can be. I know how irritating families can be. Um, because I've got so many brothers, there's a level in, of anonymity in what I'm about to say. I leave it as a guessing game. I had a brother who every evening, now I just started working, bought myself a car. Every evening is a bit of an exaggeration, but in the moments it feels like every evening, bought myself a car and you'd wake up in the middle of the night, the car is gone. Wow. What's happened? You wake up. He's taken the car. He's gone partying somewhere. Come back the next morning. Petrol light is blinking. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> um, it happens in the context of family. And I know that's probably just the tip of iceberg of what families can do. Um, but it is, yet it is still something that we need to contend for. Yet it is still something that we need to fight for the wholeness of. Um, and so in one big way, from my observation in any ways, there's one big tool mixed in with one, call it lesser tool, that God uses to attack family. And that is sex. In many ways, um, from single parent homes, because society takes away the sanctity and the sacredness of what that is and removes that out of it. And then the lesser tool he puts in is saying, you have the right to do what you want to do when you want to do. And it then misplaces this beautiful thing into something that has no place, no context. And as a result, you end up with, in times, not the only reason, single parent homes, divorces because of affairs, um, sexual identity misunderstood because the sacredness of what God has brought in, in your identity, in who you are. The world comes in. It's a big tool, but it's a lesser tool. It says you can do what you want, when you want, therefore nothing is sacred, and therefore it starts to break down that family structure which God wants to work through in impacting the world and bringing his power into the world. Yet another thing we need to contend for in our families. Yet another thing we need to fight for in our imperfect families. And a point I just wanted to make earlier was just to say, as imperfect as our families are, let's sort out whatever hurt there is in our families. 
I know it's Christmas time. I know sometimes it's difficult. You have to face those not so lovely people in your family as well as the ones you enjoy being with. But let's, 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 let's be honest families. Let's be families that talk. Um, we as brothers once again had a time where we spoke honestly about what happened in our past and in our history. And jeepers, it blew my mind as to what the experience of one and the other and the other and the other was um, in the same event that we all experienced at home, which um, tore our family apart. And it began to explain a lot of why that person is this way and that person is that way and that person is that way and that person is that way. And therefore, it opens a platform for forgiveness. It opens a platform for empathy. It opens a platform for sympathy. And it opens a platform for greater relationship and allowing God space in to those areas to work in and move on. Now, in families, we often also talk about if there was another next point, I'd put it in question marks here because I was trying to find something, a better way to put it. We often talk about family as, as blood relatives. That's what puts us together, it's blood. Blood is thicker than water. There's all sorts of sayings and um, ways of putting it in the natural. And I have been speaking about the natural family. And what I'm about to lead into in no way diminishes the natural family because I'm about to speak of the supernatural family um, and then contending for who we are as a supernatural family. Now, the matter of blood Before people say, what kind of preach is this? You haven't even opened the Bible once. You can open to John 19. <laughs> Verse 26. Now, whilst you're getting there, the issue of blood, I firmly believe, and as we're, gonna, we're about to read it in the scripture, one of the reasons Jesus shed his blood is because blood symbolizes family. Blood, if we have the same blood, we say, I don't know if that's biologically correct. The doctors in the room will correct that but I'm not making a biological statement in any case. As we say, blood is what makes family. Um, and I believe even symbolically, part of the reason why Jesus shed his blood was to put us all into his supernatural family. So John 19, verse 26. 
when Jesus saw his mother. Bit of context at this point in time, Jesus, Jesus is on the cross. He's been whipped, he's carried his cross, for, I don't know for how long, to the point where it's put up, he's on the cross. These were amongst Jesus' last words. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, the disciple is John in this case, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and he goes on to say, I thirst. But I found it interesting that after Jesus puts together this unnatural family, because there's no blood relation, after him shedding his blood, in the book of John, it accounts that then he realized that it is all finished. At the point in time where he creates and puts together into family, he realizes it all finished. Jesus had done countless miracles. He'd raised Lazarus from dead to life. He'd healed the blind. The lame had walked. But it was only finished at the point in time where he puts people into family. And I strongly believe, once again, it's something that Jesus was contending for all along. It's something he contended for even at the point of his death. He never forget, he never forgot. Woman, your son. Son, your mother. You two are now family to the point where he took that person home. Now, also, I believe that in this supernatural family, and I believe this is what sets the church apart, is the context of family. It's the context of being united and believing in Jesus and the blood that he shed for each of us will set the church apart to any other place you walk on on earth. Um, okay. I want to give an example. I was wondering whether I should or shouldn't, but it's, it's, it's a real example in South Africa where we find ourselves. It is only largely because of church circles where I've been in the company of an old white male who grew up under apartheid, sitting together, enjoying a meal, for no other reason than the blood of Jesus Christ that binds us together and puts us together and says, here's your brother and here's your brother. And we accept each other as family without considering a million other things before that, which do exist. Because our history has not gone away. It's in our history, it's in the past, but it plays out in the present in many ways that we see over and over and over. 
but it is in the blood of Jesus that we find family and he brings us together and says, you are family no matter what. Now someone from the outside looks at that and it's very peculiar. It's very unnatural. So this also then brings me to the point of um, one of the beautiful things then um, another scripture we're going to read is Romans 11 verse 24 so whilst you're turning there um, a little bit of a story still within my family One of my older brothers decided it's not enough to just be a half-breed and he'll marry a Canadian woman. Confuse the family line even more. In case you're wondering, yes, she is white Canadian. Just to put it out there. Um, as if our family line isn't complicated enough. Over and above that, they then fostered a young woman, um, she was in her teens at the time, when they brought her into the family, who's um, yeah, half Indian, half black, um, into the family. And that was just such a beautiful picture of what family actually is. It's not just a blood relation. It's you choosing someone deliberately and say, we will love you as our own, regardless of your past, regardless of your history. And she's had a difficult part, past. Um, so a few, two weeks ago, her mom, so she's leaving, part of why we're going down to see them in the Cape is she's leaving for Canada, um, probably for good. Um, so her mom, or she wanted to see her natural mother for the last time. Now, um, her natural mother is part of the reason why she's had a tricky past. Um, I think she's obviously had her own issues as well, which I do not know the full extent of. But so I just had like just busy, busy, busy at work, ending a project. Saturday I'm working. Um, and we're sitting in a meeting and I was hoping it would have been done earlier in the day and it's just dragging on and on and on. And I'm like, I have to leave. There is a lady I need to take to the airport. She is family. She's like, yeah, but why can't she get there on her own? I was like, without explaining many things, I was given specific instructions to hold her by the hand pick her up, hold her by the hand into the airport and put her in the plane if I can. Otherwise, she will just not make it. Um, because of her history and her past and she's been unreliable for many reasons I don't want to go into. But anyway, so we had... Um, she doesn't have a phone of her own, so we phone her through a neighbor. Hey, this is the plan. I get her. We'll meet... Ananda at five, 
Inanda Seminary. Cool. I was delayed because um, eventually I just left. I said, need to go. Family to attend to. So we rush with Malindi to Inanda, get to the place where we agreed to meet. Cricket sounds. Nowhere to be seen. How? Oh. Ask the security guards, this, that, that. Phone the neighbor. Okay, this is the way home. I don't know Inanda from a bar of soap. Um, never had much reason to be in Inanda. But anyways, we phone the daughter, you know, what's the lie of the land, which way is home, so we're tracking, and eventually we found her, but now, like, rushed to the airport, like, that much time left. So we pick her up and we're rushing, and she's just, like, grateful. Thank you guys for picking me up. I thought you weren't coming anymore. You know, I thought you wouldn't find me um, anyways, we rush to the airport, jump out, check her in, and anyways, while we're rushing to the airport, you know, she's just like constantly expressing her gratitude. Thank you for coming. And Malindi says, of course we would have come. We are family. And I think partly for her, it's obviously something she hasn't had much of an experience of. And it's just to say, our family is not just naturally where we are born into, but where we choose to come together, where we choose to partner. We are family. And as much as I attempted to get to the other side with her and put her in the plane, airport security would not allow me. They said, ah, this is where you stop. Like, I just want to show you where a boarding gate is. No, this is where you stop. But so in saying goodbye, she then... Um, gives me quite a warm hug, you know, and says thank you again for coming to get me and, you know, take me to the airport. Um, and in that warm hug, I, was, I, I, I myself was reminded and convicted that this is what family does for one another. It does not need to be your biological family. It does not need to be your blood relation. Now, this very much reminded me of Romans 11, Verse 24. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back to their own olive tree? So what Paul is talking about here in his letter to the Romans um, is there's passage of Scripture in the Old Testament where Israel is likened to an olive tree. But he's talking about the Gentiles being brought in to this family because of what Jesus has done. And he says, it's like we are grafted into this tree. Even us Gentiles who are on the outside, even those who are not believers, are then grafted into this family tree. We become one. We become part of this family. But he's also talking because the debate was... Um, do those who are Israelites who do not believe in Jesus still become part of the tree? He then goes on to say, how much more if they do believe will they not be part of this family tree? And it's just part of the supernatural family that Jesus contended for, that Jesus died for, of which adoption and fostering is such a beautiful picture of, where we say, even though you're from the outside, your lineage is different to mine. We can be grafted into one. 
we can become one family. How much more us, who Jesus contended for, and on the cross shed his blood for, as a family, as we sit here, should we not come together as a family in every which way? And I say that in light of, I know it's Christmas time, but I know even in our community there are those who may not have much natural family. We are family here. We should find one another. We should be together even in the difficult times, even in the good times. We should celebrate together. In the tough times, we should weather it together. Um, I can tell many stories about how this family has contended for one another and the power of God has been displayed. I'll make an example closer to home. I thought I wasn't going to tell the story, but I think I should. Um, I remember when Mark Watson, where is he? Okay, probably somewhere with the children. When Mark Watson got COVID, this family came together. This was at the height of COVID. This family came together. Someone had the bright idea to bring palm leaves and palm trees, and the prayer meeting was outside. I wasn't here, but I hear it looked like what was going on. Anyone who walked out from the outside is like, what cult is this? What's happening here? But this family got together and contended for the health of Mark Watson. Mark Watson was miraculously healed and out of that hospital before any doctors could believe what just happened. His lungs were back working and in order and he was in hospital, out of hospital in record time. Yet he was said to be critical. That was around about the time my wife got diagnosed with cancer. Not long after that. And I remember Heather Phipps said to us, there are enough palm leaves and pine trees in Durban for us to contend for you the way we contended for Mark Watson. My wife has been walking free of cancer for the last six months, seven months, eight months, I'm not sure. Test after test after test. Because this family, as unnatural a family as it is, came together and contended for that healing. God's power was put on display in a family context. God wants to work through family. Now, in, I want to start landing this. In, 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 the enemy still comes to contest and fights. And what's the family fighting for from this family? The enemy is not happy to see people gathered like this. In Hebrews it says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. And one of the biggest battles in the church today, there's even books written about it. We had a friend who had a book on his bookshelf. And this guy was a believer, He's a guy we did premarital counseling with. He was solid, but he hit a wobble. And he had a book on his shelf. Is do I need to go to church as a believer? And I'm not saying he's fallen away, but his natural family broke apart. 
because he isolated himself from the gathering of believers, from the gathering of the saints. I believe that is one of the root causes of his family, of him then divorcing his wife, and they had one child together. We cannot forsake. We have to contend for this. We have to pull in those who are moving away. Sit down with them, as you would with your natural family. Sit down with them. Talk real. Allow space for God to move in and do his work. Because it's not by our eloquent words, it's not by our, how smart we are, but allowing God to move in to do his work. Now, lastly, in wrapping this up, is there's always an open invitation. Um, Revelations talks about the marriage um, supper of the Lamb. Um, the beautiful thing is God always, Jesus always invites us into a feast, into a time of joy, into a time of family unity. That's what most of us do around Christmas time. We come together as families and we feast. Um, this one brings that, that one breaks that. My mom does the baking, so Christmas time around her is always amazing. There's biscuits for days, there's scones for days. Um, but we come together as family and we feast. And the invitation is always open for us to come together as a family and feast. And it's one way that we want to keep contending for this. So one of the ways is World Cup soccer. We can do without soccer. Um, not a great soccer fan. I am rooting for Argentina. My mind and my heart are separate about this. My mind tells me, hey, France will take it back to back. My heart's with Argentina. I don't know where I sit, but I'm rooting for Argentina. That's what I'll be shouting for. France, Johnny. <laughs> but it's another family moment we try to create. When we come together, it's beyond just soccer. Um, come together as a family. Let's have some fun together. Let's feast together. We're not a big soccer family, but we'll be here. But the invitation for anyone who's not yet decided they want to believe in Jesus and put their faith in him is open, even this morning. If you'd like us to pray with you, if you'd like us to just tell you a bit about what it's about, the Roberts are here, we are here, the colors, there's other leaders in the community, We'll hang around the front. Um, we'll pray with you. You are invited in to this family. And the invitation is open. Thank you.